Welcome to the audio podcast of the sermons from First Reformed Church in Edgerton, Minnesota. For more information on First Reformed, go to edgertonfrc.org or our Facebook page. Our natural inclination is to look to the high points of our lives as being the most important moments in our personal development. We will naturally want to look to the positive, look to those good things, because who likes to dwell on things that are negative? But often it is the points of difficulty that have the greatest impact on our lives. It's the moments of brokenness that cause us to change. We want to believe that our successes that come about by our skills or our hard work are the most formative things in our lives. But chances are that when you evaluate your life, the points where you struggled or where you experienced sorrow and difficulty, those were most likely the points where you were most shaped by God. Now we've been making our way through the story of Joseph, and when we started out, we noted that Genesis didn't tell us that these were the generations of Joseph. It got us into this narrative by declaring that this was the story of the generations of Jacob. Our focus has primarily been on what's happening with Joseph because that's the interesting part of what's going on in their family. It is truly a story for the ages, but the story here that we've been working our way through is about more than just Joseph and his rise out of the pit that his brothers put him into that led to years of slavery and prison. As the story has unfolded for us, we have seen that there's more to do here than just Joseph. It's about his brothers. We get a deeper sense that while this has been about God rescuing his people from this famine, it's also about what's going on in the life of the family of Jacob, what's going on in the life of of these brothers who sold Joseph into slavery. We've seen the brothers and their lack of compassion towards their brother, and several weeks back, we also saw the sexual immorality and the disregard for family obligations that happened in the life of Judah, and this was all set up against the purity of the brother Joseph. We've seen the bad things in the brothers, and particularly in Judah, and then the good stuff in the life of Joseph. But as we've seen the story unfold, we're beginning to see what's been going on with the brothers of Joseph. They've not forgotten about the brother that they sold into slavery and told their father that he was killed. Their consciences have not been completely dulled. We've seen conviction for what they've done. And in our passage for Today, we see Joseph putting the brothers to the test, and we find that there has been a change going on in the lives of these men. Now, this is another long chapter, and so we're going to break down the movement in the story a little bit, two, three points, so that we can feel the progression as we move through the chapter. So the first thing that we see in this story is Joseph plotting to put his brothers to the test. When we left off last Sunday, we left Joseph still unrevealed to his brothers, and we saw that they were drinking and being merry with each other. 
Now that felt pretty good when we read that. But how quickly the story turns and we find that the scheming of Joseph has not yet come to an end. Second, we find the brothers standing before Joseph for stealing Joseph's cup and the evidence is against them. With Joseph's plan in place, they are put in a position where their greatest fear heading to Egypt can now easily come to pass. Jacob was hesitant, we saw last week, to let them take Benjamin into Egypt out of fear that he wouldn't come back. Well, now the circumstances before them make this fear a very real possibility. And finally, as the passage closes up, we see Judah speaking and willing to sacrifice himself for the sake of not only his brother, but for his father. These men who had no issue getting rid of their brother and causing great sorrow to their father are now showing compassion and love instead of hardened hearts. And so as we start out here, I want us to consider the emotional roller coaster that the brothers have been on through this part of the story. Remember, their brother Simeon was held captive in Egypt by this governor who was in charge of distributing the food. And then their father won't allow them to go get that brother because to do that, Benjamin has to go along to prove their little family story. Well, through all of this, they run out of food again. They need to make their way to Egypt, but they have the barrier of their father's permission to do so. Well, after convincing Jacob of the severity of their circumstances, that they will all die if they don't have food, they get on their way with Benjamin and go on this long journey. Remember, this would have taken a while. The whole time, they're wondering what their fate will be. And remember, the success of their journey means life. It means life for their individual families. If they fail, it isn't just Jacob that likely dies in the famine. It is their wives. It's their children. And their children's children that are at risk here. Remember the importance of family secession in this culture. If they fail, their whole families are done. And so, you arrive in Egypt as this group of men, and you're taken to the home of this Egyptian governor And we saw last week, they thought this meant that they were in serious trouble. Their emotions are, hey, our families are doomed. Well, then you end up, you're honored at the home of this Egyptian governor. And you find yourself actually having a good time. Who would have thought we'd end up at a party with a guy who's as powerful as Pharaoh? How neat is this? They they probably thought all their fears and the fears of their father, of Benjamin dying, were unfounded. So they're just going to get their food, be on their way, and everything is going to be just fine. We can't wait to tell Dad, see, you were worrying about nothing. But as we land in verse 1 of chapter 44, here we see that Joseph has a plot against his brothers. And it was far more thought out than the awful plot that they had against him when they saw him walking to them while they were tending to their flocks. If you remember back to when they threw him in the pit and they sold him into slavery, they saw him in the distance, they threw him in the pit, they didn't think through what they were doing. Joseph's plotting here is well thought out. He has an agenda. 
And while it is pretty well thought out, it isn't an original plot. Joseph is sticking with a theme here, isn't he? Just as before, the money is being placed back in the bags of the brothers. But now there's a new wrinkle that involves Benjamin specifically. Joseph is putting his brothers to the test. And this time we find that the test isn't something that isn't going to take a while to develop. Remember last time, they didn't find the money in all the sacks until they got back to Jacob. Well, the plan put together by Joseph is executed very quickly here, we see, as we move on to verse 3. They they send the brothers off, and Joseph sends his servant after them to get this whole plot into motion. As we move through this story, there's something confusing for us here that we see in the text. I'm guessing when I read it in Genesis 44, you might have had a what-in-the-world-is-going-on-here thought that, that gave you pause. We know that Joseph is a God-fearing man. He's set up in the book of Genesis as the faithful one. You've heard me say multiple times that in the Bible, we have Jesus who obviously looks good. We have Joseph who looks very good and Daniel who looks very good. But for the most part, most of the other Bible uh, character stories, at some point, they look like scoundrels or they don't come out looking so good. But Joseph is one of the few Bible characters who sort of rides through the Bible stories on a white horse, right? He looks good. And so this is confusing here when we have Joseph saying that this is the cup by which he practices divination. That isn't something someone of God would do. But we have to remember here, this whole situation is a ruse. Joseph is, Joseph is playing a game here. He is not letting his brothers on to the fact that he is anything more than an Egyptian governor. And we know from the text of Genesis that Joseph knows the source of his insight is God. This is how he is able to interpret dreams. This is how he is able to know these things. So this is not Joseph actually saying he practices divination. It's a part of the plot. He wants his brothers to understand that they have offended this Egyptian governor in an extreme way. This is more than just taking some drinkware off a table or taking a silver cup. This is serious offense. And so, we see in this next sentence coming up that Joseph talks about this evil that they have done. And so this steward does this whole plot. Instead of letting them get all the way home this time, as I mentioned, they're intercepted quickly. They accuse the brothers of doing this. And of course, the brothers are shocked by this whole thing. They brought the money back. Why would they steal more money? They were honest before. They were given the food. They paid for this new food, fair and square. Why would they even think of taking a cup from the house of this Egyptian governor who could squash them like a bug? All they wanted was Simeon. All they wanted was food so their families could survive. And they wanted to bring Benjamin back to Jacob without any incidents. That's all they wanted. We've all had sticky situations in our lives, and we know how those situations go. When those kind of situations come up for us, we just want to get in and get out, and we want to do nothing, have nothing bad happen, nothing negative happen. All we desire in those sticky situations where we want to get in and get out is we want to 
get out of the situation and, and breathe a sigh of relief that nothing bad happened. We want to know that we escape without conflict. Well, I'm sure the brothers were on the road breathing that same sigh of relief you and I have when we've been in sticky situations. They were probably laughing. They were probably enjoying life. Hey, things went well. They may have joked about how the gray-haired old man back at home will never believe. He thought Benjamin was going to die. But instead, we were partying at this dude's house. They were probably laughing about it all. Things seemed just fine until this servant of Joseph intercepts them on the road. And so they're so taken back by this accusation that they make a vow here in defense of their innocence. They so believe they're innocent, they make a huge vow. If one of them has the cup, not only will they all be enslaved, but the, but the one of them that has the cup has the cup will forfeit his life. Now that's a bold statement. It shows that they believe they're innocent. This is pretty bold also because obviously they didn't think to check their bags before they left. I mean, I know what I would have done. I would have stood in the driveway of Joseph and gone through the bags after what happened before. I would have dug all the way to the bottom of the food and made sure my money wasn't in there. I would have made sure that this was good after what happened before. You probably would have as well. But notice here the statement of the steward. He doesn't take the suggestion of taking the life of whoever has the cup, but instead he says that whoever has the cup will be enslaved, and then the rest of them will be innocent. Well, of course, the, the plotting of Joseph was deliberate, and it, it seems as though the steward, knew, the steward knew how Joseph wanted to play this out. I'm sure with every bag searched, there was a feeling of relief and a, a bit of a glare in the direction of the steward, like, we told you so. We're innocent. Leave us alone. We, we told you we're not guilty of this. Can we just do this so we can go home? And so for a second, take a, take a minute to consider the range of emotion here in this text. The accusation, their certainty of innocence, and the anxiety of being in a position where if something does happen, you can't do anything about it. And then you have each bag opened, and with it, you get to feel that relief and breathe that sigh of relief. But you're still concerned a little bit after what happened with the money last time. And worst of all, the fact that they once again know your birth order, and they know who the last person is going to be checked, is the person that you have vowed to protect. You told your father you would protect them. Honestly here, I feel bad for the sons of Jacob because antacids had not been invented yet. Okay, This had to have been eating at their guts. And if the process didn't do that, we see that they are dramatically affected by the result of Joseph's plotting here. When the cup is found in Benjamin's sack, look at what they do. They tear their clothes. You and I don't do that, but this is something that they did in ancient cultures when they felt distressed. This shows us just how terrible this is for the brothers. It shows their concern, not just for themselves, but for their father and for their brother. It shows that they aren't just worried about themselves here. These aren't the selfish brothers from earlier in Genesis. They could have ran off. Because what did the steward say? 
hey, those who don't have the cup, you're innocent. But instead, what do the brothers do? They tear their clothes and they all go back to the city with them. They were free and clear. They were innocent, but they went back to the city anyway. They went to face the music when they didn't have to. Remember, the steward only said the one with the cup is innocent. The rest are, is guilty. The rest are innocent. And so these men who once abandoned their brother to the pit, these men who once sold their brother into slavery and willingly caused their father pain, are now, are now concerned about a brother who will be in slavery and they are not abandoning him. And they want to advocate for him to keep their father from suffering. As we move on through the story, we can't miss the movement here in the character of the brothers. These are not the same guys who threw the dreamer into the pit. And we see that as they advocate for their brother before Joseph. And it is interesting here. Who is advocating for Joseph? Who is it? It's Judah. He is the one that Moses made sure we knew lacked character a few chapters back in Genesis with that whole terrible incident with Tamar. But now we're seeing him as the one who is the advocate for Benjamin. Again, movement in the character of these men and particularly in Judah. When we look at this block of text, we, we see something that I've been pointing out that Genesis is reminding of us, us of on multiple occasions. Look at what the brothers do. They fall before Joseph. How many times does Moses need to let us know that the dreams of Joseph are accurate? Remember those dreams that his brothers would bow before them. That's why he got thrown in the pit. That's why he got sold into slavery. That's how he eventually ended up in prison that's how he ended up in power in Egypt, right? Through those dreams. They bought, were reminded by Genesis many times that the brothers are bowing just as was prophesied in Joseph's dreams. It's become a regular thing for us to be reminded of this here in the story of Genesis. As we've been pra- tracking this story of the brothers going to Egypt and coming back They've been bowing before Joseph. And this time they're pleading for mercy. But Joseph is not quite ready to take the veil off his plot just yet, is he? Honestly, Joseph's kind of ruthless here, isn't he? I mean, I would have said, gotcha, a long time ago. Totally. I would have taken the mask off like the end of a Scooby-Doo show, right? Ha, look who I am. But Joseph wants to know that the brothers have changed. And so he keeps this whole thing going, even with the divination comment. And this is where we get indication that Joseph really doesn't practice divination because he makes it seem like he has used this cup, or his gift of divination actually, to deduce that the cup was stolen. When actuality, it was his plot the whole time. He, He didn't divine anything. He came up with it. And so Judah replies by saying that they're guilty. They've been found out. And he says that God has found out their guilt. And once again, we see movement in Judah and in the brothers. As I've mentioned before, there was never much concern in the brothers for God. But now they're bringing up the name of God again. They feel as though they are being punished for something that God knows. 
They know they haven't done this crime of stealing the cup. So what is it that they think that God has found out? What is it that they think they're being punished for? Judah knows that he's guilty. It isn't of stealing the cup. They know they're guilty of what they've done to Joseph those many years ago. So what Judah says here is interesting, isn't it? Hey, we're all your servants. Now I can't dig into his motivation from the few texts uh, that we see here, but the feeling is that he would rather that they all suffer than just Benjamin suffer. He would rather that his father and their family lose all their support than just Benjamin suffering. Now, while this doesn't seem like a good compromise, it does show us that he feels guilt for what happened to Joseph. Judah has changed. But Joseph isn't letting up on the plot just yet. He, he wants the one with the cup as a servant. And so he tells Judah, the one with the cup has to stay. The rest of you can leave. But Judah again speaks and acknowledges his position in subjection to this Egyptian governor. Even as an outsider, he sees the truth that Joseph is like Pharaoh in the level of his authority and the level of his power. And he lets Joseph in on how the conversations went down with Jacob. And he also mixes in the sorrow that was experienced when their father lost this other son and how losing Benjamin will affect him. Now, while none of this is news to you and I, you and I have been sitting over the story. We know the whole thing. We know the details. Imagine hearing this as Joseph. The emotions that must have been coming up within him to find out that they told their father that he was torn to pieces and to know that your father is still in sorrow over it more than 17 years later. And Judah continues. And so the emotions build even more. And he shares with this guy that he thinks is an Egyptian governor that he holds his fate, that holds his fate in his hands, that he isn't ultimately worried about himself anymore. He's worried about his father. And Judah quickly gets to the bottom of the story. He has been a pledge of safety for Benjamin to his father. He put himself on the line. And that's why he's the one advocating for him. And so Judah offers himself in the place of Benjamin and pleads with him for the sake of his father. And that's where we break off the story for today. And we're left with the tension. How is Joseph going to respond to this? But before we move on to our point of application for this week, there's something important I want us to see here. As I've mentioned before, Judah, Judah is the one advocating for Benjamin. We've seen his sin of neglecting his family. We've seen his sin of sexual immorality. But here we see growth in him and how much he's changed since Joseph was sold into slavery and since that incident with Tamar. Judah is not the same man who did those things. But there's even more to this story than that. This is Judah. And Judah is showing self-sacrificial love. This is more than just Judah becoming a better human being. There's a picture here that's pointing us forward to someone who is going to come from the line of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our advocate 
and the one whose self-sacrificial love saves us from sin, death, hell, and the devil. Remember, the story within this story is that line that we've been following through the book of Genesis that one day, from the seed of the woman, from Eve, will come the one who will be the Messiah, the one who will crush the head of the serpent. And so here, what do we see? We see one of the ancestors of the Lord Jesus Christ showing sacrificial love for His people. It's pointing us forward to the one who would show the ultimate self-sacrificial love for us, the people of God. So after that aside about Judah and his offspring, I want us to stick with Judah for a minute for our application for today. Now, I don't know about you, but I have thoroughly enjoyed taking the time to dig into the story of Joseph and consider more than the highlights, more than just the stuff that we remember from Sunday school. It's, it's taken us some time to get through the story of Joseph here, but it's been interesting to see what's happening in the lives of the brothers. And this text, as I've mentioned, shows us how much they have changed. As I said with Judah, we have seen selfishness in the sale of Joseph and, and the sin with Tamar. But now we see a sacrificial love. We see a giving heart in Joseph. And as I've mentioned in previous weeks, God is at work in the brothers. And here they have been brought to a place of brokenness. When I started out, I mentioned that in our lives, brokenness is the place where we find that God is at work. So where I want to challenge you and I today is to allow God to work through the struggles that happen in our lives. That we might be open to His Word and to the work of the Holy Spirit. That God might use these things to help us to grow in faith. The brothers of Joseph had to be brought to a point of brokenness. They had to be brought to a point of repentance. And God used it not only for the purpose of saving His people, but for the purpose of shaping them, of changing them. And so may you and I be aware of the work of the Spirit in our lives. And may we not lament the struggles that we have and the difficulties that we have, but instead may we trust that God is at work to shape us and to make us holy. That our lives might be changed. That we might bring all honor and praise to Christ alone for His saving and sanctifying work for His people. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Edgerton First Reformed. For more information on First Reformed, navigate to our website edgertonfrc.org or our Facebook page.